We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. Good morning to all of you dear Broken Vessels. What a joy it is to be back in our studio launching into the first episode of our third season of Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. You have been in our hearts and prayers and we trust your new year is starting off well in his service. I think it's safe to say this past year didn't go the way any of us expected. And yet amidst chaos and heartaches, aren't you grateful for the Lord's mercies that are new every morning? It's a blessing to rest in the knowledge that no matter what is going on around us, Christ remains true to his promises. He's been with us every step of the way. It's the presence of Jesus that's paramount in finding courage and strength for the trials of life. In the light of all the recent events around the world, sadly, many Christians are giving in to fear. Frightening situations have become bigger than God. May we encourage you today to have that kind of unwavering faith that says, no matter what lies ahead, God is good and worthy of worship. Even if we face the worst imaginable suffering in the days ahead, we have a Savior who enters into it with us. Jesus is the biggest one to turn to as an example and guide. He knows all about us and where the future will lead. In addition to His Word, which is full of promises for believers, the Lord has also blessed us with family in Christ, godly Christians from whom we can draw courage and inspiration and hope. Years ago, Two cherished friends gave me an incredible invitation to accompany them on a missions trip to Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. Here's Myanmar in a nutshell. This is a country that shares its borders with Bangladesh, India, Thailand, and China. Christianity traces its roots back to the efforts of one of my heroes of the faith, Adoniram Judson. To this day, The Judson Bible is actually still a common translation for the people there. Myanmar is considered a closed country. Their main religion is Buddhism. Within Buddhism, there's animism, which is the concept that everything in this world, people, animals, and objects, all possess spirits that connect them to each other. So, Christians face widespread persecution from villagers who practice animism to tribal militias and other Buddhists who cooperate with government officials. Despite the oppression, missionaries aren't giving up on boldly proclaiming the gospel, and God continues to grow his church. On that missions trip, my friends were there to assist in Bible translation projects. My time was spent teaching English as a second language and leading women's Bible studies at a local Christian college. Not wanting to draw any attention to ourselves, as a precaution, each morning a different driver would come to pick me up for work. 
and each day we would take alternative routes to the college. The college was located in a remote village. It was an old, run-down building surrounded by a stone wall with no signs indicating what it was. Weeks before my arrival, the neighbors had overheard the college students singing hymns. They turned them into the police, and the school was ordered to shut down. They complied for a few days and then reopened. Later, monsoon storms flooded the fields of those neighbors, and the college students were among the first to show up to help them clean and repair the damages that had been done. The love they demonstrated to the very people who sought to destroy them was such a powerful life lesson I'll never forget. Their courage also inspired me. What an honor it was to hear their testimonies. So many of them expressed that even if it cost them their lives, rather than renounce Christ or forsake his church, they were determined to trust the Lord and remain faithful to him. By the end of that missions trip, I remember feeling deeply appreciative that America has been free from such troubles and persecution. But in reality, why should we as believers ever think that persecution is a circumstance that's off the table for us? So far, of course, here in America, being a believer in Jesus Christ hasn't really cost us anything in the way of risk to life. Perhaps we've taken that for granted. However, with 2020 behind us and a new administration in place, injustice and persecution seem much closer to home. A lot of us have become increasingly aware of how quickly life can spin out of control. You're absolutely right. These past 10 months or so have been an eye-opener for many of us as to how fast things we hold dear can be stripped away. Around the world, we as Christians are facing all kinds of fire trials. In the midst of the most disheartening moments of life, it's not always easy to trust the Lord. What does our faith look like when God's timing seems questionable? Do we still trust and honor Him, even if He doesn't respond in the ways we assume our good God should? Recently, I've been thinking about that phrase, even if. It's a phrase that appears several times in the Bible. The psalmist David expressed on a number of occasions that even if he were to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if princes plotted in his opposition to him or armies encamped against him, his heart would not fear. The apostle Peter wrote a message of hope to his fellow believers who were suffering. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Another familiar passage for most of us who went through Sunday school or read through the Old Testament is the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. One thing is crystal clear. These men were fully persuaded of the power and sovereignty of God, and nothing, not even the threat of death, could convince them to compromise their faith in God. Their story takes place in the city of Babylon, whose ruins are located in present-day Iraq, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. According to the ancient writers, Nebuchadnezzar was a distinguished builder, having constructed one of the seven wonders of the world, 
the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He's best known as an important ruler of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He conquered Jerusalem and overthrew its king. As was typical in ancient times, Nebuchadnezzar further taunted and displayed his power by plundering and burning to the ground Israel's most prominent symbol of their faith and culture, Solomon's Temple. The temple utensils were tokens of God's greatness. They were stolen and used for Nebuchadnezzar's gods and feasts. Thousands of Jews from Jerusalem were swept away from their homes and held captive in Babylon for more than half a century. Looking at that exile from a biblical perspective, it seems obvious the Babylonian exile resulted as consequence to the nation of Israel's sin. Following the exodus from Egypt, Israel had entered into a covenant relationship with Yahweh. He was to be their God, and they were his people. In the ancient Middle East, a covenant brought blessings if it was kept, and curses if broken. God gave clear warning that should they refuse to obey and choose to go their own way, they would find themselves scattered among the nations. Although they were continually warned, Israel broke every single one of God's covenant stipulations and took advantage of his patience. Nevertheless, what a distressing period in history to read about Jerusalem and the temple being reduced to rubble and of families and tribes being dismantled. Among the captives were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As young teenagers, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah lost everything. Their homes, their friends and family, even their names that held special meaning. Hananiah, whose name meant Jehovah's Gracious, was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of the moon god Akul. Mishael's name meant who is like God. His name was changed from Mishael to Meshach, which means who is like Aku. He went from being reminded that he reflected the God of Israel to being addressed as someone who mirrored a pagan God. Azariah's name meant whom Jehovah helps. His captors gave him the new name Abednego, a servant of Nebo, a Babylonian God. The custom of captors was to change the names of their slaves as a way of disconnecting them from their heritage and their hope of ever returning to normalcy again. These three men were forced to accept changes in their very names that had previously proclaimed allegiance to their god. They were enrolled in a select education based on youth, intelligence, and aptitude, a program that would give them an opportunity to build good lives for themselves in a hostile country. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego may have studied topics like astrology and forms of divination and magic. These would have been subjects that went against the fabric of their faith, similar to what Christians face in secular universities. Nevertheless, while these men were enrolled in Babylonian education, they set limits to guard themselves from becoming ensnared by the pagan culture of their captors. For example, they chose a different diet from their peers. One day, the king built an image that was over 90 feet tall and nearly 20 feet wide. Since the area was flat, it could have been visible for at least 15 miles from any direction. Nebuchadnezzar mandated everyone appear and worship the statue as soon as the instruments began to play. Why did he do this? Was it to solidify the allegiance of his people? To serve his ego? The Bible doesn't say. But the bottom line was he called for all to bow down or burn. In an article from Heartbeat International, Deborah Nabert wrote, The strategy of the enemy, Satan, is at all costs 
to get us to look away from the Lord to a golden image, our circumstances, and be ensnared in the sound, which creates an atmosphere of confusion around us. While these three men may have had a lot of confusing, dramatic, uncontrollable changes forced upon them, they still feared only the Lord. They refused to give in to the pressure to worship any god but the living God. I imagine they stood out like sore thumbs. As the first sounds of the instruments echoed out, and everyone except them fell to their knees to worship. They were quickly singled out because they were not doing what the rest of the country was doing. So Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to be brought to him. Between verses 15 to 18, we see the word if four times. He told them if they were willing to worship his image, all would be well. He went to warn them that if they should defy him again, they'd be thrown into a burning furnace. This was their response. They did not hesitate or take a moment to consider compromising. If it be so, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. We know God is able to accomplish anything. No question there. Verse 18, however, has a line that resonates with me, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. To put it simply, there was no if situation where they would ever turn away from God, not even death. They had it settled in their minds, whether God provided a miracle or not, whether he would choose to deliver them or not, they would remain obedient to the Lord and accept the outcome. Their answer only infuriated the king all the more. He ordered his men to heat the furnace seven times greater than it usually was, which would be even a lot hotter than Arizona summers. <laughs> For the execution, the flames were so intense that the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the door of the furnace were killed. What happened next was astonishing. Nebuchadnezzar rushed to the door of the furnace in amazement because he simply could not believe what he was seeing. Three men, who should have been killed instantly, were alive and walking around. Men who were tied and fully clothed were now unbound and unscathed. And as if that wasn't miraculous enough, the king spotted a fourth man in the fire. There was something very special about that fourth man. He looked different from the others, like a son of the gods. From our own personal studies, we are convinced this fourth man was Jesus. In the end, Nebuchadnezzar recognized the courage and trust Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in their Lord, and he recognized the power of their God. Do you find yourself looking into a fiery trial and afraid when you can't see the end? Even if God doesn't spare us from the flames, whether that be a devastating diagnosis, financial strain, divorce, civil unrest, persecution, whatever it might be, will your faith falter or collapse under those circumstances? Or will you purpose in your heart, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to trust the Lord and do right no matter what? While many around us are bowing to the idols of our age, social pressures, political correctness, immorality, will you choose to stand for Christ? Even if the world around us crumbles, our Heavenly Father is still seated on the throne. His word, the Bible, still remains the truth. Our treasure, Jesus Christ, 
is still the same loving, compassionate Savior. He's promised to always be with us. Don't give way to fear, dear broken vessel. The presence of Christ will turn your fiery trials from hopeless to victorious. Until he comes again, may you be steadfast and abound in the work he has called you to do. This old world just keeps spinning faster than it ever seemed to be We read every day of disaster and wonder what else is in store. But we can close our eyes and sleep at night, knowing that in the clear morning light, oh, the Bible will still have the answer. And God will still be on His throne. He will still pour out sweet blessings and hear all the prayers of His own. The Spirit will still be our comfort and grace will still flow from Calvary's about all the trouble around but there's a sweet rest in his mercy knowing he won't let us down and through uncertain days his word remains so we hold on to things that will not change And God will still be on His throne. He will still pour out sweet blessings and hear all the prayers of His own. The Spirit will still be our comfort and grace will still flow from Calvary. And God will still be on His throne. He will still pour out sweet blessings and hear all the prayers of His own. The Spirit will 
will still be our comfort, and grace will still flow from Calvary's hill. And no matter what may come tomorrow, the Spirit will still be our comfort, and grace will still flow from Calvary's Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.